Welcome back, everyone, to We Run Shuffle, the show where we hit shuffle on Comfort TV. Uh, my name is Tim Nacy. I'm the multimedia editor, and I didn't mention that last week, actually, because for some reason I thought we were waiting on an official statement. Oops. <laughs> yeah, so I, did, I didn't say anything. I thought, oh, well, this is all going to get announced next week, right? So I'll just keep it a secret so well, everyone's surprised. <laughs> now they know. <laughs> so, yes, I'm multimedia editor. I handle podcasts and videos and the like for this uh, for this newspaper. Uh, I also write movie reviews, and I scream on Twitter about uh, theme park business policies. <laughs> I'm a sitcom obsessive, and uh, that's a part of myself I'm actually going to be able to indulge in this week, so I'm very excited. Woohoo. Hello, everybody. I am Leo Cabral. I am the editor-in-chief of Viewpoints. I am a queer, trans, and non-binary multimedia journalist. I love cartoons, horror, and things that make me feel intense emotion to distract myself from the cold, sad reality of that's, capitalism. Uh, that, that's all you can do. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what pop culture is, just keeping us looking at something else while the world burns. That's all this show is. <laughs> now, Tim, uh, tell me, what are we watching? Uh, you know, I've had a really busy week. Just kind of my, my first official week as a multimedia editor. So mm -hmm. uh, aside from a few of my regular shows, like uh, you know, Rick and Morty had its finale the other night. Uh, I've been watching Ted Lasso. What if all that other kind of stuff? I haven't really had time to find anything new that I want to share, but I do want to talk about something I saw online that's kind of got me messed up. <laughs> oh God, give it to us, man! Yeah. Um, so yeah, I saw something on Tuesday night. It was on. It was on. It was on Twitter, but I think it was all over social media. Uh, Nick Jr. released a video where uh, Steve Burns, the host from Blues Clues, um, he touches base with you, you know, directly because you know how Blues Clues works. He talks directly to the audience about everything that's happened since he left for college and his brother Joe took over. Now, I just want to be straight up about that. I'd aged out of Blue's Clues for a couple of years before Joe took over. It was 2002, I believe, that happened. And so I was eight years old. By that point, I had uh, moved on to uh, SpongeBob and Power Rangers, I believe, for my obsessions at that time. The good stuff. Yeah, 2002. That's when SpongeBob's at its best. Maybe one of these days we'll get into that show. Um, but... Um, when I when I saw Steve leave for college, because I, I have a brother that is five years younger than me, so he was about three, I believe, at the time, and so yeah, and so, and so he was still watching, and I we only had one TV, <laughs> so I did so I did see when Steve left, and that moment when he gets on that when he gets on that cartoon bus to go to college, still that that even messed me up. I was a sophisticated eight year old at that point, but yeah, even I even even I even I even I got misty at that moment. I've never grown out of Blue's Clues, and that moment still traumatizes me. Oh yeah, I, I I actually had forgotten how how bad that messed me up, and then just having all, all these years later, having Steve, a figure that was honestly he was such a big monolithic um, figure for a fledgling pop culture obsessive like me. Like that was that was that really was I believe like my first fandom was Blue's Clues. Oh, and um. Obviously, you can go back to any Blue's Clues episode you want to have Steve talk to you again. But, like, there was something very special and very powerful about having him talk to me again with the expectation being that now I'm in my 20s and dealing with other stuff. And him talking about how he's dealing with other stuff, too. Like, I, you know, I, I miss those days when my dog refused to share information with me. And <laughs> I had to go find, I had to search my entire house to solve a very simple problem. Um... It was, yeah, it was like a video hug, and I definitely wasn't ready for it. A video hug is a good way to put it. I wasn't ready for it either. Oh, my God. I was I was crying. But, yeah, it, it, does, it, does, it, does, it does sound silly. But I know I'm not alone because, obviously, you're saying that you felt the same way. And a mm -hmm. lot of people, I mean, Twitter blew up that night. And the and the days and the days following. There's actually been a lot of really good memes <laughs> <laughs> around that. Love the memes. But, yeah, I... Um, but for those for those for those like two and a half minutes or however long that video was, you know, it was 1998 again, and I was you know sitting there eating Lucky Charms and 
listening in rapt attention to what this man in a green shirt had to say to me. It's interesting how he just commands your attention like that, isn't it? Right. Yeah. We. Yeah. You. You just. You. You just don't grow out of that. And what else is there really to say that like nostalgia has an extremely powerful force? Absolutely. Yeah. This. This was the first time I believe I'd gotten. I'd gotten super like teary-eyed over it, 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 it hasn't happened for about 11 years and the last time like I really really like welled up hard and was kind of a wreck was uh, 2010 I believe Toy Story 3 oh <laughs> let's not talk about Toy Story 3 I got, I got halfway there at the end of the last Harry Potter movie right but, I, um, that's another one I haven't seen oops um, yeah I honestly loved Blue's Clues and Steve was my favorite also I, lo- I thought his last name was Clues not Burns so this is a big, a big. <laughs> you, you cracked my reality open. <laughs> <laughs> a big shock for me. Well, yeah, he's he's. I think I think I think he's I think he's just Steve. They don't have any actual last names. I just think the act the actor's name is Steve Burns. And oh, oops. Yeah, the, his message gave me some kind of closure, and it did give me the whole nostalgia, a hit of nostalgia. Uh, I didn't realize how much I missed him and our TV adventures until I was revisited by him in that video. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So what I am watching, I... So Q-Force dropped on Netflix on September 2nd, and I binged all of that in about five days. Oops. Okay, wow. <laughs> it's uh, Q-Force is a spy-fi action comedy series about an outcast group of queer spies waiting forever to get in the field and do a mission. Ooh, wow. <laughs> this fun group includes... The Twonky Leader, Mary, Femme Top Drag Queen, Twink, Big Beautiful Mother Figure and Lovely lovely Lesbian, Deb, Tired Mountain Dew Hacker Girl, Stat, and Buck, the cishet, emotionally underdeveloped guy who has to supervise the squad. So how did you feel about the show? Because I, I, all, all I can really say is I, I've, I've seen, I saw a trailer for it, and I don't think they cut a very good trailer at the very least. It did not, it did not look very good to me. They didn't have... Okay, so Q-Force does not have great ratings. And I can understand that from, like, the first couple episodes, but after watching the whole thing, I honestly love it. Unironically, I love it. I love... Stat, my fave. Twink, also my fave. I... It... it, And, of course, you know, it's uh, it's spy-fi, and it, it deals with, you know, cop stuff, but it also deals with how... In a, even though you're in a system like that, and even though you're queer, you're still gonna... It still deals with how systematically... Systemically, we are oppressed as a group, as a subculture, as people. And um, it's just, it. by the end, we kind of win and save the day. So it's actually really nice. I really enjoyed it. I thought I was going to hate it. So I totally recommend it for anybody out there. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll check it out one of these days. Because, yeah, I, I, yeah, like I said, that, that, tra- that trailer did not look very good to me. And, you know, obviously there was, there was no political connotations on my, on my end for that. It's all ju- it, was all, it was all just I was looking at it as an animated sitcom. Mm. And I was like, my God, this does not look funny. No, I hate trailers. I specifically avoid trailers because, one, they either give too much of the plot away or, two, it's just garbage. I'm, I've been learning the hard way, actually, that just comedy <laughs> comedy trailers can't be trusted because there's actually a lot of like comedies that I've gone back to that I just I totally I totally just skipped them because the the trailers looked god awful. See, but then yeah. yeah, but then but then I went back and I realized, oh, okay, so they were just trying not to use the funny stuff. Oh, and how do you do something like that? How do you try to get an audience in without all the good stuff? It's it's hard. There's a reason why com- why comedies are not doing so well box office wise. Yeesh. But uh, we're not here to talk about movies. We're here to talk about television. Have you been watching anything else? Yes, actually. So every time I come to work, my girlfriend 
watches Harley Quinn on Ooh, HBO Max. Love it. Yeah, I thought it looked interesting. At first, I wasn't interested, but the more I watched some of it, the more I was like, you know what? Fine. I'll I'll I'll, re- I'll watch it with you. So, um, what it does is it deals with Harley's breakup with the Joker and her girl boss journey of healing from the abuse, danger, and gaslighting that the Joker has put her through. Um, honestly, I don't know about y'all, but we should not be idolizing or striving for a Harley slash Joker relationship. I just think that's on a whole another field there. Oh, 100%. And what I'm really happy about is that DC is really, really engaging with us lately because through Harley Quinn, obviously, and then uh, Birds of Prey. Yes. And even uh, slightly to an extent, it's it's not it's not a huge plot point, but there is a little bit of it in the Suicide Squad, where it's a, a lot of like Harley trying to like find herself after dealing with this monster Aww. for all these years. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. The Harley Harley Quinn is fantastic, and honestly, um, Diedrich Bader and Alan Tudyk, I believe, are my favorite Batman and Joker. <laughs> yes, I love. <laughs> They're boyfriends. Yeah, honestly, and and, and it, I I I always I always love I always love when DC like canonically gets that because um Lego Batman gets into that too. Yes. Oh my God, I'm gonna have to check that out. Um. Anyways, if your brand of humor is villains and superheroes swearing and being raunchy, this is your jam. Yeah, honestly, I would put it as like if anybody out there's ever seen Archer. Um, it's it's like it's like a supervillain version of Archer. Instead of spies, it's supervillains. Sweet. All right, so we're going to get into our main episode for the week. Um, just a quick little background. As you probably noticed from the title, we are going to be talking about King of the Hill this afternoon. Uh, so King of the Hill, a little bit of background. King of the Hill ran from 1997 to 2010. Uh, it starred Mike Judge, Kathy Najimy. Uh, not sure if I'm pronouncing her name right, actually. I've never heard it said out loud. Neither have I. <laughs> uh, Pamela Adlon, Stephen Root, Johnny Hardwick, and Brittany Murphy. Rest in peace to my the favorite late, white girl. Brittany Murphy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it centered, as many of you may know, around a man named Hank Hill, who lives in this quiet, sleepy little suburban town in Texas, Arlen. And we just kind of follow him on his various horn lockings with the modern world because he is super, super old school. So old school. He has this extremely stubborn, unshakable code of ethics, and uh, that can occasionally be charming, but often it's extremely off-putting. And um, I'll get into it later, but I really do believe that that's kind of the point. Oh, yeah. It's it's satire. Um, think typical white macho, non-religious Puritan family man, and you've got Hank Hill. It's a great caricature. So, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, a quick disclaimer. Uh, King of the Hill is a very special show to me. It, it, always, it always has been. Um, it, when I was a kid, it was pretty much the only show that my entire family loved. We could, we could always, we could always watch, like, everybody was able to watch that show. And it was the first uh, piece of adult animation that my parents deemed, you know, quote unquote, clean enough for me to watch. I wasn't even allowed to watch The Simpsons for a while there. Wow. Yeah, they, but, but, but King of the Hill, I think, was more in line, I guess, with their values. So they were like, okay, well, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is um, positing some good messages. So it's okay to watch this one. Um, it's in my regular rotation of back of go-to background shows, um, eating, playing video games, falling asleep, folding laundry, um, along with like Cheers, Frasier, The Simpsons. Um, uh, sometimes I even listen to it while I drive. Honestly. Wow! Oh my goodness. Um, it has a, it has a very calming effect on me. I, I I go back to it a lot. It's comfort food. Nice. So I might wind up cutting it a little more slack than maybe it might deserve. So Leo, I wholeheartedly invite you to call me out. Ooh. If I start, um, if I if I if I st- if I start maybe glossing over some bad stuff. Okay, I love calling people out. <laughs> you're, just like, you're just like licking your lips, rubbing I'm your hands, just together. like, All here right, we go. Get this guy. <laughs> I'm ready to jump. 
All right, so this week we're going to be looking at, um, honestly, one of my favorites of the entire series, uh, Season 6, Episode 8, Joust Like a Woman. Um, King of the Hill loves their uh, their pun titles. I know, right? Um, there are no Simpsons, but, you know, they're, they're, they're all right sometimes. Uh, in this episode, the Renaissance Fair comes to Arlen, and Hank tries to close a massive propane account with the owner of the fair, who's voiced by the late, great Alan Rickman. Rest in peace to him as well. When he ropes Peggy into this situation, it becomes clear that the, quote, king... Hmm. is indulging in some extremely unsavory practices, to put it lightly, under the guise of historical accuracy. So we open on Hank finishing up a sale, helping a customer load a propane tank into the back of his, into the, into the, into the back of his truck, talking about how much he appreciates his business, when his boss, Buck Strickland, pulls up and says, oh, well, forget about this small fry. We got a big account. Um, he, the, the, the way he puts it, actually, it's an account so big it'll put all my bastard sons through college. <laughs> I love that line. Because it just so elegantly tells even a first-time viewer everything they need to know about Buck Strickland. Namely, that he's one of the world's premier scumbags. God. he Buck essentially serves as Hank's foil. But as we see in this episode, Hank is not the perfect guy either. Yeah, Hank Hank does not have... That, 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 that's, that's the first thing to remember about this episode, is that Hank does, Hank does not have the best male role models. He has mm. his actual father, Cotton. That, that guy's a whole can of worms in and of himself. Oof. That's all I got to say. Um, and then, yeah, and then his father figure later on, Buck Strickland. And, yeah, both those guys have very, very, uh, shall we say, unhealthy attitudes about women. <laughs> so, yeah, Hank goes to the Renaissance Fair. And um, obviously, unsurprisingly, he is unimpressed by by, by what's happening. Um, until he sees how Philip Motzinger, a.k.a. King Philip, is using the propane to power the fire breath of a massive metalwork dragon. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second to say that I think... This is I, I hadn't clocked it until I watched this until I watched it this time. I think this is like the kind of the first indication that things aren't quite right here, because the way we the way King Philip demonstrates how the dragon works is that he fires a flaming arrow. He actually has an arrow set on fire and he shoots it at the dragon's mouth, which then ignites which then ignites the gas that is apparently just free flowing out of the dragon's mouth. That is. The most irresponsible thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that, you know, the usual goody two-shoes Hank doesn't even see this as a safety violation is beyond me. Oh, he is, he is like, he is like just, um, he is just like, like blown away and smitten. Oh God, he and sees actually, money bags. I just, I just, I, 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 I love the line too, where like he like totally like, like, like embraces this whole world because he's like, this is the most god dang beautiful thing I've ever seen. I'll tell you what. That impression. <laughs> Yeah, I've been working on my Hank for a long time. <laughs> God, hold on. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I do deeply love that line. Like, uh, I, I hadn't clocked that until this time, but that was like just. I, I had to like pause the episode because I was like, "Oh my God, this is so funny." That's great. So, Hank brings the news home that if he can close this account, they'll finally have the money to install a second sink in their bathroom, which Ooh. Peggy is excited about. Um, his wife, Peggy, voiced by Kathy and Jimmy, points out that they agreed that she would pay for this sink with the money that she earns as a notary, her kind of like side hustle. Because I know, I'm not sure she's a substitute teacher at this point. I know she was at least for a while. She does mention later that she was like back to back the best substitute teacher. Yeah, and yeah, I, I know, yeah, I, I, yeah, because I know, I know, I know, she, I know she stops for a while and then mm-hmm. picks it back up and then she's in the newspaper. She, she jumps all over. Peggy, Peggy goes on a journey throughout King of the Hill. She goes off. Um, but yeah, she says that, yeah, that she, she, she points out, yeah, they agreed they would pay for the sink with the money she earns as a notary. And Hank, charmingly, chuckles and says, just don't leave your hair in it. That's the only payment I need. And um, quite honestly, <laughs> I 
sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> just, do, do I need to stop it? <laughs> You're good. You're good. I'm just dying. <sighs> okay, I can handle this. <laughs> so in terms of, so in terms of, um, in terms of that line that, that don't leave your hair in it. That's the only payment I need. What what else really is there to say about you? So the fact that he says, oh, that'll only pay for the sales taxes. It's it's mm. he's so condescending. It, this is so common for you know sitcoms like this where the cishet man is in a two and comparing, and he's like, nah, I got it with my big old money bag. And the annoying thing too is that a lot of the times it's 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 treated it's treated unironically. Like it's just like no, that's just that's just that's just the way things are. Right. And um, yeah, I definitely I, def- I definitely am not somebody who has any kind of patience for like you know toxic masculinity or the conventional vision of masculinity. Never never been about it. it it's it's something that's annoyed me. I, I kind of had it rammed down my throat for a long time as a kid, and I not I've I've I've. I'm still in the process of breaking free of it, but you know, it's it's a process. It happens. They're, those chains are hard to break. I understand. Mm-hmm. Society. We live in a society. We live in a society. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so the next day, uh, everyone goes to the fair. Hank gives Luann, um, his niece, for anybody who's unfamiliar, voiced by Brittany Murphy, uh, gives her money with the caveat that she not put any tights, tassels, or skirts on Bobby. And Bobby is very upset by this. <laughs> Just let Bobby live his genderqueer life. <laughs> right, just leave Bobby. He, yeah, he, um, we'll get into this a little bit later, but yeah, he, um, he does super wrong by Bobby a lot. Oh, every episode. I got, I got, a, I got a couple examples specifically. And, uh, meanwhile, we also see Dale, who is trying to troll the fair by wearing what's basically a Federation costume and pretending to be from the future. Love Dale. And, Love and, Dale. and also using it, at, and, and also using his, his Federation costume and like presence from the future in his, in his RP character as a way to finagle a discount for <laughs> entry to the fair because the future is a period. <laughs> <laughs> I just I love it. Um, oh Dale. So Hank brings Peggy to meet King Philip, and uh, right out of the gate, she criticizes the accuracy of the fair, Philip's old English, and his British accent. He does not seem to take this kindly. <laughs> I think it's so hilarious that she critiques Alan Rickman's British accent. <laughs> it's, it's so good. <laughs> it's so very good. Uh, so during Hank's sales pitch, it's established how awful Philip is to the women who work for him. There's even a bit um, during that scene, or right before that scene, where a woman is put into the stocks for the crime of offering her own opinion. That's what the uh, the town crier says. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's pelted with tomatoes by... Um, an all-male crowd. Isn't that great? I even I've, I even paused to kind of like scan the crowd and like there are some women there, but it is only like it is only the guys who are throwing the tomatoes. Of course, yeah. Clearly, clearly a very toxic environment. Yeah, things are things are stacking up. Things are very very wrong at this Renaissance fair. Mm-hmm. So during this, uh, Strickland's rival Thatherton is trying to undersell him. He says that he would undersell them by, I believe, like ten percent. Which you know, that's a, for for a for a, a thousand gallon propane account. That is going to be a pretty hefty discount. But King Philip, he offers a way to sweeten the pot. Hank, yeah, uh, Hank needs to convince Peggy to take a job at the fair. Um, and you know, he's got that King King of the Hill villains. Everybody, for anybody unfamiliar, they're not subtle ever. They always like there's always like this there's always this cartoonish evil grin that they get. Like you know, okay, that's the bad guy this time around. And uh, Philip gets that look on his face, oh, because, yeah. and 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 you know that Peggy slighted him earlier, so he's uh, he is he is ready to go. He is licking his chops. Mm-mm. So they go to talk to the HR guy, and uh, he makes it clear that the openings for women are 
not only extremely limited, but also all have the word wench in them. A word actually I'm going to avoid using going forward because, um, yeah, even as a joke, it sounds pretty messed up. I'm not, a, I'm not a fan. All right, I'm down with that. So, once she takes, once she takes the, once she takes the job as a, as a, um, as a, a cleaning wench. Use it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> one last time, and that's it, everybody. Yes, this, I've, I've, I've declared it. <laughs> this is now the W word. <laughs> um, Peggy butts heads with Phillips pretty much immediately by breaking his strict historical accuracy rules. Uh, she brings up a vacuum cleaner, and uh, she and 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 the, the the tour guide is weirded out by it that that that, that she's talking to, and you know she and, and she says, oh oh sorry 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 yeah in the future they're gonna invent a magical sucking machine, and and the guy and the guy's like oh if thou canst predict the future then perhaps thou art a witch, because obviously they're always they're always gonna go there. Yeah, everybody has to stay in character. So that happens. Um, Philip shows up, and um, Hank hang on, Hank, Hank's with him. Hank does not defend Peggy. Um, and yeah, so things are things are things are not great. And so later on at lunch, Peggy is talking to the other women from her tent about working conditions. And uh, it turns out that yeah, the misogyny extends beyond the onstage interactions. Uh, they're paid seventy cents on the dollar. One of them mentioned specifically. Uh, they always have the last lunch break, so you know the fat Merlin always gets all the chicken wings. <laughs> of course. Oh goodness. <laughs> and there's even talk of um, sexual harassment, a concept that Philip apparently dismisses as. Tom Foolery. This guy, he loves this guy. So disgusting. So Peggy goes to talk to Philip about these working conditions, and needless to say, he dismisses her. And so yeah, that's that's just yeah. There's there's just more evidence on 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 top of everything he does. There's just more evidence that like outside of the fact that he's misogynist, which obviously that's a big monolithic part of his personality. Um, Just in general, he's like this kind of unbalanced, creepy little weirdo. Um, in the scene, it's established like he's he's got a curtain drawn. He is totally one hundred percent in private. There is no audience watching him, and he's and he's weighing pretend gold on an old time scale, which he refers to as his treasure from the Americas. Oh my god, <laughs> big weirdo behavior. <laughs> <That's> so, <laughs> weird. Um, so so after this scene, um, Hank is in a mood. He has split his third pair of work stockings tights. I mean, to, to Hank's credit, he doesn't cover this up. He does say, I, um, um, these are the third pair of gut dang tights that I've ripped. <laughs> <laughs> that is too good. <laughs> oh, my God. And Hank gets upset with Peggy for talking to Philip. And um, he basically basically tells her, just you know, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> And actually, she starts up again. He's like, uh-uh, mouth. <laughs> Which, ooh. Ooh, buddy. Um, of course, she pays him back immediately after this for uh, plunging her hand into the, the split in his tights and ripping them all the way, um, eliciting one of Hank's iconic buhas. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that tights, oh, my goodness, they are not for thick thighs. So I totally feel you, Hank. <laughs> But yeah, that, that 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 thing where she rips, where she rips the, where she like, like rips the rips the tights the rest of the way, it, it kills me every time. Like oh, just de- de- deal with it, you jerk. That was that's what you get. Take this, yes, get him, <laughs> Pegs, get him. So, getting no help from management or from her husband, uh, Peggy gathers the women and proposes a peasants' revolt, where they plan the tomato the king. This does not go well. Peggy ends up being the only one who participates during during the conversation. You know, they've all got their reasons why they want to toe the line and keep this job, because you know it's I, on on some level I understand that it's tough out there. I'm I'm currently unemployed myself, so like I know that like if you have a job, sometimes you got to suck some stuff up. Obviously, this is an extreme example, 
I'm not saying anything that any of this is okay, but I do understand like their reluctance to assault their boss. Oh yeah, I've been there. I've been. I've had gig jobs. I've had long-term jobs. I've had short-term jobs, and there, every time there's like that one thing where it's like I'm enduring something, and I'm like, is it worth it? You know. You kind of have to sometimes. It's unfortunate. Yeah. And yeah, it's a very sad moment, this moment, obviously. But Mm -hmm. um, it always kills me um, (laughs) when um, they're tomatoing tomatoing the king. Um, I think Peggy throws uh, three tomatoes. One of them gets Philip right in the chest. The other one gets him like on his throne right behind his head because he dodges it. And the third one, his guard, who is apparently like super committed to the bit, dramatically throws himself in front of it. (laughs) What a hero. (laughs) unsung hero of this episode. <laughs> we stan him. <laughs> it's so infuriating watching Hank blatantly ignore safety regulations, his wife, the miserable conditions all the workers are under, clearly so easy to see, just for some money that he wants to lord over his wife for a fancy two-person sink setup. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's, I think that's a criticism I would level this episode a little bit, is that, um, I think that, I think that, I mean, obviously Hank, Hank is a jerk. Um, and he's being a jerk no matter how you slice it. But I really feel like they could have maybe taken a little bit of the curse off of this by having at least the dimension of Hank's motivation be to uh, get Thatherton. Because in the past, you know, early, early, early on in the show, it was kind of like a catchphrase. Thatherton would do something and Hank would be like, Thatherton! <laughs> you know, it, he was, he's, he's, he's kind of like an arch nemesis. And so having, having part of that be, part, uh, um, having that be part of it, might have taken the curse off Hank a little bit. Um, and I don't think it would have hurt the, the satire that's going on in this episode at all. So that's something that maybe I would have changed if I had been offered the chance to take a pass at the scripts. In 2002, <laughs> yeah. I believe, when I was eight years old. <laughs> Just hand me hand me a little eight-year-old the script. I'll fix this. <laughs> yes, I obviously knew all I knew about dramatic, about dramatic structure back then. Uh. Uh, so what Philip labels as the one-woman rebellion of 1590, once that has been quashed... Um, Peggy is taken to the stocks just like the one from earlier. Again, only males are participating in the tomatoing. Thankfully, just so that he doesn't come out looking like the complete devil, Hank decides he's fed up with this. This person, this this was this was the line, and he gets on Peggy's side. Finally, uh, the thing is, challenging uh, challenging King Philip is probably not <laughs> a wonderful. Um, Con- uh, not a wonderful concept because um, he's a mentally unbalanced weirdo and he challenges Hank to a joust. Of all things. <laughs> joust. <laughs> so, later on uh, in the stands, Peggy is sitting with Dale, Bill, and Boomhauer um, as they have a conversation about the medieval rules of wife ownership um, in-, in the event that Hank is killed <laughs> in this pretend joust. Um this, this conversation ends with the idea of Bill being the one to inherit Peggy. She's done, and she leaves. <laughs> Misogyny through the ages, everybody. <laughs> it's so messed up. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'm done with y'all. <laughs> That's like a running gag in the show, too, is that like sometimes like she tries to hang out with Hank's friends, and she's just like, I can't. I just, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you ever have to deal with your, your partner's friends? Oh, buddy. <laughs> so, the joust begins. Uh, this is not Hank's skill set, and he is off of his horse immediately. Um, everybody is horrified, obviously, except Bill, because that's also a running gag, is that Bill has a crush on Peggy. Mm. And um, so I, I, everything, everything, everything seems, everything seems terrible until a mysterious masked rider enters and wipes Philip out with a carpet beater. It's Peggy. Heck yeah. 
So figures that Hank is absolutely useless while Peggy is the intelligent badass who saves the day. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 something I want to get into too. Is that I I, I follow a lot of like uh, King of the Hill fan groups and a couple of meme gr- meme groups, and a lot of people have a really like deep dislike for Peggy. But yeah, my 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 whole life I've always disagreed with that. I've always really been charmed by her enthusiasm and determination, even in the most overwhelming of odds. You know that that, that it's, it's it's part of her character that um she has this like stratospherically high opinion of herself and sometimes she is kind of deluded about her own about the, the exact degree of her intelligence she's obviously she's not unintelligent but she does seem to think of herself as some kind of like super genius and um, that gets her into a lot of trouble so much um, but yes she has her irritating moments like anyone I mean Hank is a real jerk in this episode uh, but really guys what other fictional character can we say completely bounced back from an 8,000 foot fall from an airplane spoilers oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's a uh, pretty big spoiler oh boy I think most people have heard of, heard of it now by, by now right I, I, I would hope so this aired a while ago but, uh, but yeah uh, she can't be stopped she's like John Wick in that way and um, that's honestly way better I believe than being perfect I feel that. I would love to be like John Wick. Uh, I actually used to dislike Peggy, too, back in the day, because she's a total Karen who isn't always in the right. But hey, there's times where she Karen's right into my heart. <laughs> but yeah, I'd say I've always disliked Hank more than I've ever disliked Peggy, because he's obviously the caricature of the toxic husband trope. That That is true. Yeah. And uh, but the other things like um, in, in Hank's defense, too, in, in this episode, just in case anybody is like um, finding a getting a dim view of Hank Hill because they've never seen any King of the Hill before, um, his character and his per- and, and, and and like certain nuances of his personality, they move around a lot uh, depending on what the story calls for. Uh, there's many moments throughout the series where he is a legitimately good guy with a good head on his shoulders. Um, but honestly, in any story where he's bumping heads with Peggy or Bobby, he can be a real monster. And uh, people very often ignore that. You know, they, they demonize Peggy and they, like, sanctify. Is that a word? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to pause for a second. <laughs> they, 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 yeah, they, 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 they view Hank as an absolute angel. But, yeah, he does not always come out smelling like roses. Yeah, like, I, I know an episode that always goes under my skin um, is one where Bobby is discovered by a person doing, like, a plus-size modeling for the store. And Hank is desperate to stop it. Like he just will not will not have this, and it's just, it just it just irritates me because um, the way the episode shakes out, I guess spoilers, um, is that Hank ends up being right. Um, when the fashion show happens, the people who were involved in it were pelted with donuts by a bunch of kids, and he's just like, yeah, um, I knew that was going to happen. I mean, you put you put donuts and you put donuts and and um, and teenagers in the same thing. You're just asking for trouble. So clearly, I was 100% correct. And even Bobby admits that he was wrong. But it just irritates me because um, that plus size modeling thing was doing wonders for Bobby's confidence. He was feeling really, really good about himself for once in his life. Mm-hmm. And it just um, it just gets on my nerves. And another one too is when um, Bobby wants to grow roses for like Zen reasons, and um, Hank latches onto it and turns it into this horrible, toxic, um, competitive thing. So unfortunate. Poor Bobby. Like, yeah, it just, yeah, he, he, he can, he can, he can be, he can be, he can be, he can be really mean and really, like, overly enforcing of the status quo and, and societal conventions. And, um, you know, a lot of the time that when, when it's when it's when the show is operating at its best, as I believe it is, in, in the, um, as, as I believe it is in this episode, Hank plays a character of a stubborn old man. And that is used to kind of like 
view the view the world from a different perspective, from a modern perspective. Um, there are though times, as in the two that I mentioned. Um, where the writers don't seem to understand that, and they're 100 percent on his side, because a lot of people do view Hank as like, oh no, he's 100, he's 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 perfect. He's always the smartest guy in the room. He does he's 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 always the most you know, he's always the most pragmatic and the least emotional, and he's always like got the objective view of everything. But yeah, that's not true. No, not by far, it's so not true. Uh, so yeah, any any episode where he's a monster and yeah, and 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 it ends. With him being correct, the the plus, the plus size modeling episode, which mm-hmm. I the name I'm blanking on actually right now, um, I tend to skip that one. It's it's very oh. early on in the show. Yeah, I I, I, t- I I'll watch it sometimes, but a lot of the times it it it, it 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 gets me too mad. Oh wow, I had no idea. Honestly, I've I completely understand. I've watched the whole. There's eight seasons, right? Uh, I think there's like eleven, thirteen. There's thirteen seasons. Where did I get eight from? <laughs> We're gonna delete that. Um, <laughs> There's many seasons, and I've watched all through all of them at least once in my life. And um, there are episodes where I'm like, I cannot do this. I need to skip it. Yeah, it gets it gets it gets very bad. So wrapping up this episode, um, as Peggy and Hank ride away, Peggy's on the front of the horse, Hank is on the back. Uh, the women of the fair serve Philip with a lawsuit, and this leads to um, this is at least in the conversation for like my favorite, the, the funniest King Hill moment of all time. Um, as he reads the the subpoena that he's handed by the by the by the women of the fair, um, he's like going down this laundry list of like of like these like these horrible workplace atrocities that he's committed. And as he reads each one, his British accent slowly melts away, and we are treated to Alan Rickman <laughs> doing like <laughs> doing this wonderful wonderful Texas accent. He's just like crap. I'm gonna lose my fair. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing I love more than hearing a British accent, a Brit, a, a British person attempt an American accent. Beautiful, spot not not necessarily spot on, but calls for a good time every time. It just I, that that never fails to absolutely destroy me. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> I'm actually really I'm actually really upset. I was looking it up and I couldn't find like an isolated YouTube clip of it, which is like all I want in the world. Maybe I'll have to make it. You're just gonna have to make that your ringtone or something. <laughs> just yeah, I don't want to go back to selling real estate. <laughs> But yeah, um, we close, and so we close on uh, Dale, who, back in his time traveler character, is panicking about the Prime Directive being breached, and like a child, he makes uh, time travel noises to uh, as, as he leaves to warn the future. And Bill's standing right next to him, and he he ends the ends the, ends the line on or ends the scene on the, on, the, on the wonderful line, "Take me with you. I hate it here." <laughs> and I'm just like, you know what, Bill? Same mood. <laughs> Oh, God. So, I guess that is going to lead us then to the question, does this episode hold up? Uh, Personally, I think it does. Uh, Without a doubt, it's a very intense story, and there's some very viscerally ugly behavior on display. Uh, people definitely need to be warned that you know this 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 is going to get into some stuff that might be a sensitive topic for you and if and if that is a particularly triggering thing for you definitely you're you're gonna you're gonna want to at least like you know clench up your stomach muscles and get ready. Um, but I think that the curse is taken off of it in terms of like how the how it operates as as an, as as an episode of TV as a piece of fiction. Philip is never painted as a reasonable sympathetic character, and uh, justice is eventually served. Uh, Philip loses his business, and Hank is humiliated in the joust after losing the sale that's been more important to him than his wife's comfort or, honestly, her safety. 
Uh, obviously, you know, at the end of this, 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 the, um, the societal problems aren't solved. We have not, we have not, we have not done away with um, sexism. Um, King Philip was not like was not like the, the 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 dragon that represents the concept, and it's now erased from the world. King of the Hill doesn't operate on that level. But uh, Philip and Hank are both punished for the way they acted, and uh, there's no doubt in the audience's mind who the villains of this piece are. Yeah, I love that. For me, for an episode about misogyny, I think it actually holds up well. King Philip and Hank definitely get their just desserts, and I'm eating it up. I appreciate that Peggy gets a jab in at the very end when she's riding off into the sunset, and she tells Hank, just try not to fall off the horse again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, just, just, just real quick, I, I, just loved, I just loved, too, like, when, when Hank gets on the horse, he's like, I've never, I've never done a joust before. Or ridden a horse, and the and, 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 and like the stable hand guys, like he he'll do most of the work. Just if he bucks you off, make sure to cover your head and your testicles. God, <laughs> uh, horses are no joke. I've ridden one once. Scary. I'm good. I'm terrified of that. Yeah. No, thank you. No way. So yeah, real Shiro hours right there from Peggy. Obviously women and generally people who aren't the archetypal man or who don't identify as men uh, still have a lot of oppression, discrimination, and misogyny to endure to this day, along with, you know, a whole number of all the issues we got going on. Mm -hmm. But it is nice to have a satisfying end to the episode where ladies win one. Oh, definitely. I, I, also, I also do love the angle. It, had, it actually didn't occur to me until just now. Um, I love the angle that they wrap the story up. Like, the big climax of this episode is basically putting the two biggest sexists in a ring and making them fight each other. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the answer. Who knows? Yeah, you know what? Just put all the misogynists in one ring and let them just go. And what? Just, like, shoot the last one? <laughs> yeah, hmm. <laughs> Um, I don't condone uh, <laughs> murder. <laughs> yes, yes. Reverend Shuffle does not condone any kind of violent, uh, meeting violence with violence. <laughs> yes, please. Um, no fighting, please. Love each other. But uh, yeah, this episode does stand as one of my as one of my favorites, and I will very likely be coming back to this show a lot. Honestly, I think. I'm going to have to revisit the show again, too, because it's been a few years for me. And honestly, rewatching that episode did remind me why I do love, hate King of the Hill so much. It's it's got, it's endearing at times. It, it, it does. It does kind of hit hard with the satire sometimes. Like it's like it's a very much like uh, much like as I mentioned last week, uh, some of my favorite um, some of my favorite like dark comedy sitcoms like Seinfeld or uh, Kruber Enthusiasm or It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, they satirize bad behavior by putting it on display. You know, they, it, it's all, it's all in, it's all, um, it's all in the, it's all in the context. It's all in how the characters are portrayed and how the story ends with them. Like the Seinfeld episodes, um, the Seinfeld characters generally don't live a very happy life. <laughs> um, they are, they are generally very cartoonishly punished for their selfish behavior. Uh, even more so in uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and man, Curb Enthusiasm gets messed up sometimes. Ooh, I bet. Um... But yeah, I, I think. But yeah, this, this this falls in line with that philosophy of sitcom making, where and you know there there are there are there are there are a lot of people out there who criticize that kind of comedy that you know that sometimes and and that and that and that is the case as as is the case with like South Park and stuff like that, where um, sometimes people don't read the satire, sometimes they don't look that they don't look that deep. And, you know, they'll watch Kerber Enthusiasm or something and they'll say, oh, well, Larry David's a hero. Oh. <laughs> and, um, yeah, like they're, they're not they're not they're not seeing that 
these characters like Eric Cartman, Dennis Reynolds, uh, Larry David, George Costanza, they're they're jokes, they're jesters, they're being used as a prop to make points against they're societal pe- problems. Yeah, they're people you don't want to be like, you know, people you don't want to be compared to. You just don't want to be these people. Yeah, and, and 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 also sometimes a part a part of the show is they put this they put this they put this ugly behavior on display, and you know and and this episode I think does get into it a little bit, not not so much for me personally, but I'm sure there are people out there. Um, when they put this bad behavior on display, um, you know, you're, these aren't aspirational figures, but it, it also is kind of like a you know Aesop cautionary tale. When you see George Costanza doing things, you tend to see a little bit too much of yourself in George Costanza, and you realize, um. Maybe I need to make some changes in my life. Let me let me look deep into myself and uh, not do this. Yeah. Why 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 is it why is it that I relate to this? I probably shouldn't be relating to this. That's that honestly is what especially Curb Enthusiasm is all about. You know, that makes me think of BoJack Horseman. Actually. Oh, big time BoJack Horseman! I actually totally I, for some reason I blanked on that. That 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 might be like the best example of all of it. Mm-hmm. I remember. Uh, that's why I I believe. Okay, so this is going to be a small tangent. I believe that's why the um, fifth season is kind of told from the from the women characters' perspectives, more more so from Diane's perspectives. You know, it's seeing these people in a really ugly light and showing them like, hey, you really don't want to be these people. Yeah, definitely. Um, and actually, I think uh, BoJack Horseman might be one of the most elegant versions of this because, um, yeah, because like when you're when you're when you're watching the other shows that I've mentioned, um, a lot of the times um, they're while they're while they are criticizing these behaviors and these ideas, they're also having a lot of fun with them in a very dark, messed up way. Mm-hmm. Which honestly, I respond to big time. I love dark humor. Same. Um, but yeah, it, it, it all it all comes off it all comes off as very as very fun. But uh, BoJack Horseman, I think, um, it does, it, it manages to strike that balance. It has fun with its darkness, but at the same time, like, there's moments where things get so dark that, you know, you have to, you, I, I, I don't, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but um, there's a moment on the set of BoJack's detective show at the end of season five, I believe, that um, I, I had to, I had to, like, when I, like, um, I, I think there's one more episode left in the season. Um, I decided at that point, though, it's like, okay, you know what? That is enough BoJack for the night. Um, I need to, like, I, I need to process this. I was like, what the hell? Oh, yeah, that season is very heavy. As um, oh, Okay, so as somebody who has dealt with uh, toxic relationships and uh, abusive relationships, that whole season was quite a ride. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially like when Bojack starts getting into like his painkillers and stuff, like Oof. things things get things get super. Dead. That, that, that that's what led to that moment that I that I'm that I'm specifically mentioning. Like I said, I I don't I don't I don't want to spoil it because I feel like this moment is it is jarring and like I said, I had to like I had to like I had to like turn it off and just like before 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 I moved on with my day or my evening, I had to sit there and just kind of like my God my God I just witnessed that I can never unwitness that. <laughs> I love when media does that to me. I love when it actually just strikes me so much that it affects me so much that I have to take a moment and just process, breathe through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's another show we got to put on the list at some point. We I'm thinking watch, of watch it now. Jack episode. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I am so down for it. 
Uh, but yeah, King of the Hill, King of the Hill, um, it, it hits these things with very mixed results. It, 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 do, it does sometimes act as that as that dark as that dark satire that criticizes that criticizes things in a very deadpan, unwinky way. Other times, uh, I think some of the writers were on the wrong page and they kind of perpetuate that kind of behavior. And so, King of the Hill can be a very mixed bag. It's kind of funny that I'm saying that, considering I, I started this with a disclaimer that I might cut King of the Hill slack. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out, nah, not really. Not, not entirely. All right, so uh, I think that just about does it for this week's episode, uh, Season 6, Episode 8 of King of the Hill, Joust Like a Woman. Um, before we go, though, I just want to talk a little bit about um, some of the other stuff that we do. Um, we're, we're really making some big moves here at Viewpoints to uh, expand the podcast network. Uh, we do have another show. Uh, it is Field of View. Uh, Jesus Coronel, our, our sports editor, and, uh, one of our, and one of our best photographers, uh, Brian Calderon, they talk about they talk about sports uh, a lot of, a lot of talk about F1 because that's kind of like one of their favorite things uh, but we're, we're we're expanding more into like local sports and um, other sports there's actually a lot of talk about the NFL in, in, in the episode that just came out last week so if you are into sports um, I would definitely recommend that one also RCC sports is coming back so we'll be covering those as well oh definitely yeah we yeah we've got uh, we've got we've got big plans we've got very big plans so where can we where can where can our audience find us at? Well, first for me, um, I also host my own podcast um, outside of the Viewpoints Network. Uh, it's called the Super Awesome Variety Show. I do it with my friend uh, Brandon Eska, and uh, basically we try to discuss pop culture and media. And you know there there is there is some critique, there is some analysis, but a lot of the time we just uh, we just get distracted. <laughs> <laughs> just so talk. Just- Talking about other tangentially related media, or honestly, just generally screwing around. Just dudes being guys. Pretty much, yeah. I, I don't remember how we got there, but like we were like talking about like graffiti on the bathroom walls last time. We, last <laughs> time we did that. I, I, I could not for the life of me tell you how we got there, but um, so yeah, that sounds like your kind of thing. And obviously, uh, you know all about this if you if you are here from our from the episode of this show that I posted on our network. Uh, if, if you want to, and so you, so you can, so you can find us on Instagram at Super Awesome Variety Show and on Twitter at SavsPod. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Nacy Tim. That is N A C E Y. Where can the people find you, Leo? Well, people can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Chupacabral. That is C H U P A C A B R A L underscore. Don't forget the underscore. Yeah. <laughs> Very important. And you can find all of our work, all of our news coverage, features, and arts and entertainment coverage at viewpointsonline.org. Yep. And you can also follow us on uh, on on Facebook at Riverside City College Viewpoints and on uh, Twitter and Instagram at RCC Viewpoints. Yeah. And uh, I think that will about do it for us. Thank you for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you so much. We're uh, yeah, those. those we're, I, I, I think we're I think we're off to a pretty good start, listener wise. Uh, I think last time I checked, I think we had like thirteen. Yes. But you know what? For for the first episode of a podcast hosted by basically two strangers to the uh, broadcasting world, not bad. And hopefully, hopefully we get more going forward. So yeah, all of you out there who gave us a chance, thank you so much. Tell your friends, please. Please, lucky number thirteen. And um, yeah, I think. Uh, We will see you next week where we'll dissect another episode of Old TV.